Well, hello! Welcome to Jeff's House of Horror! And, um, coffee. Come inside! I hope you're ready! It is, after all, October, and October is Halloween month on Coffee with Jeff. Let's sit by the fire on this dark and stormy morning, and I'll tell you a terrifying true story of murder. Warning, this yarn isn't one for the weak-hearted, for it contains a graphic description of a gruesome killing. Seriously, folks, this show contains a description of a murder that might not be suitable for young or more sensitive listeners. Be warned. So sit back and hear the tale of a couple of maids in 1933 that, well, went a little off the handle. It's one of the most famous cases of homicide in France for its bizarre and ghastly nature. So prepare yourself for the tale of the Papine sisters on the 161st episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. <laughs> it's Sunday, it's time for coffee and terror. I'm Jeff Kelly, your host and storyteller. I know, it's still like three weeks before Halloween, but from now on, October will be Halloween month on Coffee with Jeff. Today's show is brought to you by Sharon. Sharon is a listener who suggested this tale back in April. You know, when I first looked into it, I thought, well, it might be a little bit too extreme for the show, but then I thought, hey, nothing's too extreme for Halloween. One thing I want to point out before I start the show, and that's, well, this story takes place in France, La Mans, France. And I'm going to make no attempt to pronounce the names in the story as they would be to someone who, well, actually knew how to speak French. I watched one documentary where the narrator attempted to pronounce every name as if he knew how to speak French. And to me, it sounded a bit ridiculous and if I try that, it'll probably be offensive. So I'm going to pronounce the names in a way that a site called Pronounce Wiki tells me how to speak them in English. And if I have any listeners in France or any of my listeners know how to speak French, I apologize now, but trust me, it'll be better this way. It really will. So anyway, let's get on to the show. And let me just say one last time, you've been warned. <laughs> They come out of the darkness to take over your soul, to eat your flesh, and make you one of the living dead. Ah! Zombie is about to begin, and you will eat it up. It's got my arm! Zombie, we are what they eat. On the 2nd of February, 1933, in Le Mans, France, Monsieur René Lancelin returned home, concerned that his wife and daughter didn't show up for dinner at his brother-in-law's home. The doors were bolted from the inside, which made it impossible for him to get in. There was no response as he rang the bell and pounded on the door. Panic set in as he was fairly confident there were people inside the home as he could see the glow of a candle coming from the window of the maid's room. Yet no one answered the door. Convinced something was wrong, René and his son-in-law went to the local police for help. They returned with a sergeant and two officers to investigate. They thought maybe a prowler might be inside the house. The officers climbed over a back courtyard wall and made their way to the house. The back door was locked, but it didn't take much effort for the officers to open a back window. 
They crept inside with their flashlights in hand. The house was very quiet, and no one was immediately found about. Taking their guns out, they climbed up the stairs to the first floor where the bedrooms were. Near the top of the stairs, one officer spotted something on the floor, something round and white. Getting close with his flashlight, he suddenly was horrified. Lying on the floor in front of him was a human eyeball, recently ripped from the skull of a human. Shining the flashlight about, they spotted two bloody bodies. They were those of Madame Lancelin and her grown-up daughter, covered in blood. They saw deep cut wounds to the legs and lower torso, and the head and faces were mutilated beyond recognition, as if someone had pounded away at them with a blunt instrument long after they were dead. Most shocking of all, both ladies had had their eyeballs brutally torn from their heads. The police immediately assumed that the two housemaids must have also been slaughtered in a similar fashion, and that there was a good chance the killer was still lurking in the house. Back downstairs, they got the sergeant in case they needed help in apprehending the monster. Monsieur Lancelin and his son-in-law also wanted to come, but were told, much to their protest, to stay put. Before a search of the house, a call was made to the superintendent, the examining magistrate, and the coroner. The three bedrooms of the first floor were found empty, so they ventured to the second floor. They saw a clothes iron next to a wrinkled shirt on an ironing board, as if someone had been interrupted while working. But other than that, the attic and laundry room were empty. There was only one room left. It was that of the housemaids and it was assumed that they and the killer must be on the other side of the door, but the door was locked. The police yelled for the door to be opened, but they got no response. Are the maids dead inside, they wondered? A locksmith was quickly called. As they waited, they kept their ear to the door, hoping to hear something, but nothing was heard. Soon another police sergeant arrived to take over the investigation, quickly followed by the locksmith. When the door finally opened, the police entered, their guns held out, pointing forward, not really knowing what to expect. And what they saw was something unexpected. The two maids were there, both alive. Christine and Leah Papin were huddled together in their bed. Some reports say that they were naked under the covers, but most agree that they only wore their bathrobes. On the chair next to the bed was a candle burning, Next to that, a hammer, covered in blood. Christine, the older sister, on seeing the police said, We were expecting you. What did you do to your masters? the sergeant asked. Christine simply replied, It was them or us. And then said, I would rather have our bosses hides than for them to have had ours. Leah told the police, From now on, I am deaf and dumb. The maids, Christine and Leah, had been working for the family for about seven years without apparent trouble. Now the lady of the house and her daughter were dead, smashed beyond recognition, and the two young maids freely admitted to being the killers. What could possibly have come over them to do such a horrible crime in such a violent way? As strange as it sounds, it may have been brought on by nothing more than a broken clothes iron. I think it's safe to say that the sisters had some deep-rooted psychological problems that may have begun with their troubled childhood. 
At the time their older sister, Amelia, was born in February 1902, their parents were already having problems. Their father, Gustav, was under the impression that their mother, Clements, was having an affair with their boss. From all accounts, Clements wasn't a very stable woman and showed no affection for either her daughter or her husband. Gustav, wondering if the rumors of her affair were true, decided to move the family to another village in hopes this might change things for the better. In 1904, when Gustav announced his plans that he had been offered a job in another town, his wife flipped out. She threatened to kill herself if they move. Eventually, she would calm down and agree to the relocation. By this time, she was pregnant with the couple's second child. Christine was born in 1905. By then, the relationship between her mother and father had become violent. Clemens showed no love for her children or her husband, and Gustav began to drink. Christine was sent to live with an aunt, an aunt who always wanted to be a mother, and for the next seven years, she would live a pretty happy life. In 1911, Leah was born just as the marriage was coming to an end. This might have been brought on because Clemens had discovered that Gustav, whose drinking had become very bad, had molested their oldest daughter, Amelia. Not being able to care for the three kids, Leah was given to Gustav's brother to raise, while Amelia and Christine were sent to a Catholic orphanage. Amelia joined a convent and would later become a nun. Christine seemed to have been taken to the religious life herself and planned to follow in her older sister's footsteps. But her mother had a problem with this. She felt the church had taken away her older daughter and was determined not to let this happen to the other two girls. I don't know why a mother who seemed to have no affection for her daughters suddenly became concerned about the influence of the church, but at some point she took both of the younger girls back. Christine was 15 when she began to find maid work, eventually winding up at the Lancelin's household. Some time later, her younger sister would join her there. It was soon after the two began working together that they cut off all communications with their mother. From now on, the two just needed each other. The Lancelins were a wealthy family that lived in a beautiful two-story townhouse in the city of Lamar. René Lancelin was a retired lawyer who lived with his wife, Leonie, and their grown daughter, Genevieve. Christine was a hard worker and a good cook. She loved her younger sister and gave her a lot of affection, the kind that neither of them had received from their mother. Leah, who was very shy, wasn't as intelligent as her sister. She was introverted, quiet, and obedient. She looked up to Christine as almost a mother figure. Life at the Lancelin house seemed to be good for the sisters. For the first time in their lives, they had a stable place of residence. They were paid a decent wage and even had health insurance. The family treated them well, they ate the same meals as them, and they shared a heated room. They were both hard workers who took their duties seriously, so much so that other families in the area were jealous of the Lancelin's housekeepers. The sisters, strangely though, showed no interest in anything but each other. When they were given time off, they would spend it in their little room together, rarely going out. Besides having affection for each other, Christine and Leah seemed to be indifferent to everything and everybody around them. But their life wasn't perfect at the Lancelin household. Madame Lancelin could be a tough boss. 
She was, apparently, a woman who insisted on perfection from her workers, even going so far as to check for dust with a white glove. And they were rarely talked to. In fact, Renee, in all the years they lived there, never spoke a word to the sisters, and Leone would give them orders through written direction. For seven years, the Papin sisters worked for the Lancelin household until the evening of February 2, 1933. That was the night all hell broke loose. Madame Leone Lancelin and her daughter Genevieve would be horribly slain. There was no question who was guilty as Christine and Leah freely admitted that they had done the crime. What caused these two quiet, hard-working women to do such an atrocious thing? Could it really have all started because of a broken clothes iron? According to the sister's testimony, a few days earlier, the iron had blown a fuse and it had to be repaired. The cost of the repair was deducted from their pay. On the night of the murders, while only the sisters were home, the iron caused the fuse to blow once again while they were doing their duties. When Madame Lancelin and her daughter came home unexpectedly, the house was in darkness. Madame Lancelin became angry when she discovered the iron was the cause of the problem. Christine later said in her first confession, Seeing Madame Lancelin was going to rush me, I flung myself in her face and tore her eyes out with my fingers. When I say I flung myself at Madame Lancelin, that's wrong. I flung myself at Mademoiselle Guenevieve Lancelin and tore out her eyes. While this was going on, my sister leapt at Madame Lancelin and tore her eyes out. When we'd done that, they lay or squatted on the ground on the spot. Then I hurried down to the kitchen to get a hammer and a kitchen knife. With the two instruments, my sister and I set about our two mistresses. We'd hit them over the head with the hammer and slash at their bodies and legs with the knife. We also hit them with the little pewter jug which was on the little table on the landing and changed instruments several times. I handed the hammer to my sister and she handed me the knife. We did the same thing with the pewter jug. The victims began howling. I don't remember them actually saying anything. When the deed was done, Christine apparently said, This is a pretty sight, before the two changed into their nightgowns and snuggled in bed together. After the arrest, the two were put in separate jail cells, where they couldn't be in contact with one another. Christine didn't handle it well. She refused to eat or drink. Her behavior became more and more bizarre. At one point, she was put into a straitjacket to keep her from tearing her own eyes out. In order to calm her, Leah was brought in briefly to see her, and Christine began yelling, Tell me yes, tell me yes. The investigation took 25 weeks. Much of the time, Christine was crying, begging to be reunited with her sister. At one point, she asked to speak to the investigating magistrate. This time, she changed her story, saying that she did the crime without Leah as a result of a kind of fit coming over her. It was concluded that this was just an attempt to free her sister, something they didn't believe since Leah always said that she had taken part in the murders. After the examination, the two were deemed sane and able to stand trial, which, as you could imagine, was a huge media sensation. The trial began on the 29th of September, 1933. It took about 200 policemen to control the crowds that had gathered outside the courtroom. 
many simply wanting to lynch the sisters. Important journalists attended from all the major newspapers in France. The two sisters stood in back of the courtroom with a policeman between them, always being quiet and humble, bowing to every request. Since there was no doubt in them having committed the crime, the trial was more about the sisters' responsibility for their act. The death penalty was still in force at the time, and many believed that these women should be the first women to face the guillotine since 1887. In court, Christine admitted to doing the crime freely, but never offered any explanation. The prosecution attempted to prove these two were sane and therefore deserved death while the defense pointed out the contrast between the weak motive of the crime, which was the iron, and the viciousness of the crime itself. A Dr. Lorge talked about the strange relationship between the two, Leah's personality almost totally absorbed by the stronger Christine. It was his opinion that the crime was almost committed by a third person, not Leah or Christine, but a combination of the two which made them a single personality. The doctor said that while he cannot say that the sisters acted in a fit of madness, legal experts cannot proclaim that they are normal. The press took sides as well, some saying that this was an act of the class struggle, the women being slaves of the rich who were exploiting them, and after years, they finally rebelled. The prosecution countered with the arguments highlighted by how well the girls were treated. They told the jury to be unforgiving. They deserved no mercy, and since the hatred they had in their hearts for their mistress inspired them in the crimes they committed, to revert to refinements of torture and cruelty that are found only in savages, as they conducted themselves like wild beasts, they should be treated like savages and wild beasts. One must be eliminated as the law allows you to eliminate her, and the other must be put out of harm's way forever. At the time, there had been many cases of women in France being treated with mercy after they killed, but in this case, it was not to be so. It took only 40 minutes for the jury to decide. Christine was condemned to the guillotine to be carried out in the main square of Lama, and Leah was sentenced to 10 years of hard labor. Christine, upon hearing the verdict, fell to her knees. Leah would later appeal her sentence, but Christine refused. Yet even with the refusal, President Albert Lebrun commuted her sentence to hard labor for life. But something had snapped in Christine. She had lost it. She thought she should not be allowed to live. Mentally, she went downhill quickly. When the sisters were brought in together, Christine didn't even recognize Leah. And she said, She is very nice, but she is not my sister. Refusing to eat, she was eventually brought to an asylum. She died there on the 18th of May, 1937. She was 32 years old. For Leah, I don't know if it was being away from her sister that changed her, but she became a model prisoner, working in the laundry. While in prison, she began to write her mother. She was released two years early for good behavior. She lived with her mother and found a job as a hotel maid under a fake name. Many believe she died in 1982, but French filmmaker Claude Ventura, who made the film In Search of the Papin Sisters, claims to have found Leah alive in a hospice in France. She was partly paralyzed as a result of a stroke and could not speak. 
The film claimed that Leah died in 2001. One thing that struck me, and I would assume many others, is the viciousness of the crime, especially the eye gouging, which was most likely carried out while the victims were still alive. In the Real Stories documentary, The Crimes of the Papin Sisters, French writer Alan Moreau, who researched the crime, had another theory. He, along with many others, assumed there might have been more to the woman's relationship, that they might have been involved in an incestuous homosexual relationship. A sexual relationship between the two has always been suspected. I know there's a lot of websites out there that like to play up this theory, but I'm not so sure how much evidence there is to support it. But let's say, for instance, that Madame Lancelin and her daughter had come home unexpectedly and found the sisters in the dark in some sort of compromising position. Maybe the sisters attacked, going for the eyes because of what they had witnessed. Again, I will admit that's all guesswork. In the documentary... Writer Alan Moreau, who was speaking French, said this, and I should point out that I'm depending on the documentary's translation for this quote. So how is it possible that after seven years, they suddenly turned such extreme violence to the point of murdering their mistress and her daughter and tearing out their eyes while they were still alive? There are obviously many potential answers, but I have found only one satisfactory one I think that we finally understood and can now dare say things that were impossible to say at the trial. The key word is homosexuality. You must remember that in 1933, ordinary homosexuality was severely reprimanded by law. And in addition, imagine homosexuality between two sisters. It was impossible to speak of. This homosexuality is what drives the two sisters. When they are discovered by their owner... And when Christine meets her on the stairs, she understands that her mistress now knows what is going on. From that instant, all hell breaks loose. She will kill her mistress. She will kill her mistress's daughter, and she will enucleate them, at least in part, while they are still alive, because she wants to remove those eyes which looked at her, which saw her appear in a bathrobe, and which understood what has been going on in that house for years. Three times the shock, three times the fright, three times the chills and the three spine tinglers that are coming your way now. You'll meet creatures who rise from the crypt in blood of ghastly horror. See the devil's exorcist in naked evil and watch inhuman ape creatures carry off pretty young women in gorilla gang. Over four hours of fright, are you really ready for it? Don't miss the big triple terror show, all color rated R for adults. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. A little bit before I go. Late in my research, I found a site called Christine and Leah Papin and Other Studies in Crime by Neil Patton. On his website, Neil talks of Christine's behavior before the murder. He writes... According to the statements made by some witnesses, Christine became increasingly agitated and manic in the months leading up to the murders. Her condition was obviously worsening, and on the evening of February 2, 1933, her madness finally came to a head. If this is the case, and it's something I didn't come across in my research, but one wouldn't find it too difficult to believe. 
And over the years, there's been many plays, books, and films based on the sisters. Most recently, Murderous Maids, which came out in the year 2000. Now, if you want to hear something really scary, Coffee with Jeff just got its ninth review on iTunes. The first review since 2016. And it was really a complimentary five-star review from someone named The Shattered Goose. He or she posted it back in August. Sorry about not mentioning it earlier. I, I haven't checked in quite a while. Thanks again, Goose. And once again, before I hear from anyone about how badly I pronounce names in today's story, I get it. I know I probably pronounce them badly, but you get the general idea. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network, to my wife of 34 years, for being my wife of 34 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all you scary people who repost this on Facebook and Twitter. You have a special place in my bloody heart. I'll be back in two weeks with another scary story as Halloween month continues. Coffee with Jeff. 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 Coffee with Jeff.